have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention to the first book of the Bible, the book of uh, Genesis, the third chapter that we're going to look at today, the third chapter of Genesis. Now the message today, which is entitled, What Went Wrong, is the second message in a series that uh, we're following for the next several Sundays concerning spiritual warfare. And in another week or so, we'll be back in the sixth chapter of Ephesians where Paul talks about the spiritual warfare in which we are involved and uh, the armor uh, that is needed as we are in battle against the devil and the forces of evil. But our intent today is to lay the groundwork, the foundation for that, and to look at where it all began. And uh, last Sunday, that's what we, we looked at, where it all began in the creation and uh, in Adam and Eve and and, and Lucifer rebelling against the Lord. And so today, uh, we're going to be looking at the third chapter of Genesis and uh, following the idea of what went wrong. You know, in the beginning, when God created everything, he created a perfect world. He created a perfect pair, Adam and Eve. Everything at that time was healthy, happy, holy, there was no sorrow, no sin, no sickness, no tears, no tragedies, nor pain, no problems at all. It was paradise. So the question we ask is, what happened? What went wrong? This is a question that has been asked ever since the days of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Things today are a far cry from what they were at the very beginning. We might ask such question is, uh, why, why would a man kill his family and then kill himself? Why would a, a, a man or a woman break up his marriage or her marriage by having an affair with or leaving his wife and going off with another woman or a woman leaving her husband and going off to another man? Why do we see so much uh, in the sexual perversion lifestyle of the homosexual and the lesbian individuals? Why do people gossip, lie, steal, cheat, murder, hold grudges, be envious of other people, or get angry? Why would a person cheat on an exam in college or lie about his or her age? Why would a president have an adulterous affair with a woman other than his wife? Why do people get sick? Why do people die? Why do we have to have hospitals and nursing homes and assisted living facilities? And yes, even funeral homes. Why do some teenagers run away from home? Why are some people verbally abusive to their spouses or physically and verbally abuses to them, and in addition to them, their children? Why do some husbands physically abuse their wives or abuse their children? Well, we, the list could just go on and on and on as to why people live, that is, some people live the kind of lifestyles that I've described and, and many other types of things. Well, the answer to all of this lies in the question of what is the fall of man? How and when did man or mankind fall from 
that original state of sinlessness and innocence. And of course, the question lies in the third chapter of Genesis and uh, uh, the idea of what we call the fall of man. Uh, what you have in the third chapter of Genesis, the scene is of course the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, the first individuals who were created, uh, were placed there in the garden with specific instructions that they were to till the soil and, and to keep the ground. So the first vocation of man was an agriculturalist or a farmer. He was a gardener, he took care of the garden. Uh, so they were there in paradise. Uh, the Lord laid down uh, only one restriction. He says, in essence, that you have uh, access to everything in the garden is created for you, for your enjoyment. There's only one tree from which you shall not eat, and that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat of that tree, the fruit that comes from that tree. Uh, if you disobey my word and eat of that fruit or of that uh, produce that comes from that tree, uh, then you will surely die. That was the only limitation that God uh, had placed on uh, their existence there in the Garden of Eden. And of course we know that therein lies the beginning of what turned out to be the world that we are living in today. In that Eve was deceived to take of the fruit of that tree and eat it and then give it to her husband Adam and he ate of that fruit and in doing so disobeyed the Lord. It was not the fruit of the tree that was sinful. There was nothing poisonous about it as we understand. So it was not just necessarily the eating of the fruit, it was actually an act of disobedience on the part of both Eve and of Adam. They purposely, deliberately, willfully broke the commandment of the Lord. They disobeyed God. God said, don't eat of it. Even Adam just disregarded his words and uh, ate of that fruit. And through their act of disobedience, they opened the door, so to speak, that allowed sin to come into the world. And every individual who has been born in this, into this world since the days of Adam and Eve are inheriting uh, a sinful nature. Uh, we naturally and normally sin. We disobey the Lord. And so this is where it all began and why it began uh, when they disobeyed the Lord. Now, uh, we're going to be looking at the third chapter, but just listen for a moment or write this reference down for further or future uh, examination if you desire. But in the book of Romans, the fifth chapter of Romans, verses 12 through 19, uh, don't turn to it because we'll only be there for a moment, just the reference, Romans 5, 12 through 19. I want to read it out of the Living Bible, or, or excuse me, the New Living uh, Translation of the Bible. Uh, Romans 5, 12 begins from the New Living Translation. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin or recognized as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did, all did die. And then in the verse 15 of Romans 5, it says, for the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. 
Verse 16 says, Adam's sin led to condemnation. Verse 17 says, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. And yes, Adam's one sin brought condemnation for everyone. And because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. So it was through that act of disobedience that sin just permeated entire humanity and even nature it says it, itself. Because in Romans chapter 8, uh, Paul talks about how nature groans. We just human beings not only groan and moan and look for the day of redemption when everything will be corrected and paradise will be restored, uh, but nature also groans for the day of redemption. <clears throat> there is a, a child's nursery rhyme uh, that you no doubt learned early in life about Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Now, that is a child's nursery rhyme, uh, but let me point out a couple of things to you about that. When you hear the word Humpty Dumpty, no doubt you have an image of an egg in your mind. But there's nothing in this little rhyme that says that Humpty Dumpty was an egg. That is the figment of our imagination. Uh, Humpty Dumpty, as I understand the origin of the nursery rhyme, was an individual. Many people believe that it is a reference to King Richard III of England, who was defeated in a battle, and that all of his horses and all of his men and everybody couldn't put him back on his throne, so he fell off his throne. Uh, so there's nothing there in that little rhyme about an egg, but there is certainly something there about an individual, I think, in a child's way in a child's rhyme way, he's talking about the fall of man. When Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord, they fell from their state, their original state of innocence and of sinlessness, and they fell into sin. And that act of disobedience is called the fall of man. So that's kind of the setting of what comes out of Genesis chapter three. So with that in mind, I want us to take the next few moments to look at three major ideas that's written out for you on your bulletin in the outline that you can follow. And these are the three ideas that we want to develop. First of all, there is a command that God proclaimed. That's in chapter two, verses 16 and 17. And then there is the curse that God pronounced in chapter three, and then the clothing that God provided. So let's examine this first idea about the command. The command that God proclaimed. Look at chapter 2 and verses 16 and 17. Then in Genesis 2, 16, it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Now notice in verse 16, it says the Lord God commanded. So when God gave a command, he gave it with the intention of Adam and Eve. And when he gives a commandment to us today, that we respond by obeying that commandment. It is not a, a, a matter of take it or leave it, do it or don't do it. It's a matter of God saying, here's a command. Do not eat of this tree. 
and uh, he expects obedience of that tree. And of course, the problem is that Adam and Eve chose not to obey God. And we see these five steps uh, that Satan uh, used in leading Eve to be deceived and Adam also to take of the fruit and eat thereof. So the first thing that you see from this is Satan's uh, disputed God's command. So in chapter three and verse one, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? We'll stop right there for just a moment. So here is the first appearance of Satan in the Bible. First place where he is mentioned. And his, on his first arrival or appearance on the pages of the Bible, he is presented to us as a person who is disputing God. He is calling God's word into question. Oh, has God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of this tree? Oh, and then we'll go on in a moment to see the rest of it. So he initiates the situation that led to Eve's deception and Adam's disobedience. And so he calls into question the word of the Lord. Uh, you know, we believe the Bible. Uh, I believe it to be God's word. I believe that every word of it is God's word, that uh, it's not just partially inspired. All of it is divinely inspired. And uh, so uh, the serpent here represents Satan. Satan used the serpent and, uh, and uh, Satan is disputing God. The first thing that he does in the five steps of his dispute with God's word is that he uh, caused a discussion. We've already looked at verse one, now look at verse two. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So he begins with a discussion with Eve uh, and deceives her uh, in, in saying, well, God didn't really say that. He, he, he really uh, just doesn't want you to be like him. Uh, the word crafty, because it says that, in, uh, that the uh, serpent was uh, more crafty than any other creature, uh, that God had created. The word crafty can also be translated cunning, uh, shrewd. Uh, it's the idea of trickery. He tricked her, he deceived her. Uh, he's very shrewd and he does the same thing to you and to me when he tempts us to do something that we shouldn't. Uh, he tries to pull, as we say in East Texas, the wool down over the eyes of our minds, but also of our souls and tricks us into uh, committing a sin by disobeying the Lord. And, and so he starts off with a discussion. Now, for just a moment, keep your place here at Genesis, but take your Bibles and turn to the book of Psalm, Psalm chapter one, and look at verse one, Psalm 1-1. One, one. In Psalm 1-1, one, one, uh, we have uh, the steps of how an individual uh, can get on the wrong track, as we might say, and uh, end up doing things that are disobeying the Lord. In verse one of Psalm one, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scorn, uh, scoffers. 
Now notice the, the progress here. The pro, he said, blessed is the man who does not walk and blessed is the man who does not stand and blessed is the man who does not sit. So you start out walking and then you stand and then you're seated. And the, and the progress here, the procession here, of course, leads a person to live a lifestyle that is contrary to the Lord. <clears throat> the word, he says, blessed is the man who walks not after the ungodly. The word ungodly can also be translated wicked. It is a reference to any sin generally that can be committed. Uh, and then of course, uh, the word sinner itself likewise means uh, to disobey the Lord and, and commit uh, wrong. And then to scoff, uh, to be a scoffer. That means to mock, to belittle. And so here is an individual uh, he begins to walk away along the way and associates with the wrong type of people. Uh, walking with them refers to a lifestyle. This is their lifestyle to walk in that way. Uh, then they begin standing around and the idea being, well, now you're positioning yourself to, to drink in, as we say, more and more of what's being taught by these individuals or the lifestyle that you're tempted to follow of these individuals. And then before you know it, you sit down. And so you, when you sit down with a man, you really are deliberately focusing in on their kind of lifestyle. And the psalmist is saying, blessed is that individual who doesn't follow in that kind of lifestyle. Well, this was what Satan was doing to Eve in the Garden of Eden, tempting her. She looked at it and uh, she, she partook of it. Uh, to, to walk in that kind of lifestyle. There are examples in the Bible of individuals, people, of the Lord who, who did exactly what Psalm 1-1 says. Uh, one of those individuals was Abraham. Abraham got in a situation and he made the wrong decision. There was a famine. People were dying of starvation. So what does he do? He goes down into Egypt. He goes down into an area of ungodly people uh, other than they were pagans and worshiping all the gods that they had in Egypt. And uh, when he gets down there, what does he do? He lies. He says to his wife, Sarah, now, uh, you're a beautiful woman. And when we go down there, uh, uh, that Pharaoh down there, he's gonna want you to be in his harem. And in order for that to happen, they're gonna kill me. So let's don't tell them you're my wife. Let's tell them you're my sister, okay? That way they won't harm me and hopefully won't harm you. Well, that's an example of what Psalm 1-1 is talking about. Another one is Lot. Lot, you remember, chose to go the way of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham went the other way. But what does Lot do? He went down there and lived among those people. He wasn't strong enough in his faith in God to resist the uh, environment in which he was in and the temptations that were all around him. And he ended up losing his whole family, almost lost his own life. And then, of course, there is uh, David, King David, a man after God's own heart. But before he became king, you remember what he did on one occasion when Saul was chasing him and David was trying to get away? Where did he find refuge? He went down to Gath. He went down there among the Philistines. And when he got down there, he realized, hey, may I, I took the wrong turn. I went the wrong direction. So how did he get out of it? Well, he feigned insanity. He began to act like a madman. And he, he foamed from his mouth and it ran down on his beard. And the king of Gath said, he's gone crazy. And so they just booted him out. That's how he got out of there. And so it happens even to the best of people. This is what happened to Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden. They listened to the devil and ended up making the wrong decision. 
Then, of course, there was the second thing, and that was Satan created doubt. Oh, has God said? Oh, no, he didn't really mean what he said. He really meant something else. He doesn't want you to be like God. And so he calls God's word into question. Now, I take the Bible, the word of God, literally. I believe it's the true word of God, unadulterated truth. You ever see a bumper sticker on the back of a car that says, uh, uh, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, I got news for you, folks. God said it, and that settles it, whether you believe it or not. Okay? Whether you believe it or not, God, he said it, and therefore it's truth. And therefore, when God says it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not. And so Eve was deceived by Adam, by Satan, uh, to do this. So there was the discussion, there was the doubt. The third thing was distortion. In verse 1, he says uh, to her, uh, Indeed, God has God said, You shall not eat thereof. Uh, any tree of the garden? And of course she said, well, uh, we can eat of any tree but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, then she goes on to say, uh, uh, well, we not only should not eat it, we shouldn't touch it. Well, does that what he said? Look, look at chapter two, verse 16 and 17. From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you shall eat from it, you'll surely die. Didn't say anything all about touching it. Of course, implied that you got to touch the, you can touch the fruit without touching the trunk of the tree and so forth. So there's a distortion here. God said nothing about touching the tree. He said, don't eat from that tree. The fourth thing was Satan cast a denial. God said, don't eat it. But in verse four of chapter three, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Oh, so here's a, just a right out lie, a denial. Satan personally, plainly, perversely denied what God said. It doesn't matter what Satan says, it matters what God says. Satan was saying, God won't punish you. He's, such, he's too good of a loving God to punish you. But remember this, what Jesus said about Satan. Do you know what Jesus said about Satan? Jesus said, Satan's a liar. He's a liar. But what does the Bible say about God? The Bible says that God is God of truth. That God, it is impossible, in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter six and verse 18, the Bible says that it is impossible for God to tell a lie. So God is truth, the devil is a liar and a thief and a killer. The fifth thing is that Satan committed a defamation. The word defamation, mean, defamation means to attack one's reputation, to slander, to damage their reputation. And so Satan caused a slander. He was slandering the word and character of God. And so Satan disputed God's command. But then notice in the second part of this, Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command. So they took of the tree, the fruit of it in verse six. And it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So uh, they were infatuated. Eve was with what she saw. There was a physical desire. She saw the fruit. Oh, there's a physical desire here to satisfy 
uh, your appetite. There was an emotional desire because it was pleasant to the eyes and there was an intellectual desire because it would make her wise, so she was told. And so she is uh, tricked and infatuated by the fruit that she saw and disobeyed the Lord. And then there was the influence that got Adam. It was that influence that Eve gave the, the fruit to Adam and, and he ate. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And so it does. Peer pressure in our day and time is just uh, very difficult for us to not yield to a temptation, especially for our, our young people. Look at verse 12 and verse 13 of chapter 3. In verse 12, when they were confronted with what they had done, notice what in verse 12 says. The man, Adam, said, the woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me from the tree. And what's those last two words? I ate. I ate. Notice, if you would please, in verse 13. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So those two words, I ate, speak of a confession and admission, uh, taking the responsibility for their actions. Oh, it's true that they were deceived and uh, tricked into doing this, but the blame doesn't lie with the Lord, doesn't even lie with Satan. The blame for what they did lies on them. Uh, the I is the guilty one. I ate, I ate, both of them admitted it. So Satan was the one that disputed God's command, but it was Adam and Eve who disobeyed God's command. So as a result of their disobedience, this leads us to the second thing, and that is the curse that God pronounced. The suffering that sin brought is described verses 14 through 19. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the hill. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth in pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow or of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to the dust you shall return. And so God pronounces um, a curse upon the ground and upon the serpent, the suffering of Eve in childbirth, the difficulty in uh, labor, manual labor in gardening. Um, uh, no longer will it produce without hard work and by the sweat of your brow. The truth is suffering in any form reminds us of the consequences of sin. Whenever you suffer, whenever you have a pain, it should be a reminder to you of Adam and Eve's disobedience. Boy, when they ate of that fruit, someone has said that was the most costly meal that was ever eaten. That first bite must have been a big one. Its taste is still in the mouth of humanity. If that fruit was an apple, and again, there's... There's no evidence in the Bible as to what kind of fruit it was, so it'd be erroneous for us to think that it was an apple tree. It doesn't say that it was an apple tree. It just says the fruit of the tree. Where that idea of the, coming 
to be an apple, I don't know. But there's nothing in the Bible that says that it was. But this individual that I'm quoting said this, if that fruit were an apple, it must have been a crab apple. Must have been. <laughs> because it has been a bad case of indigestion ever since. R.G. Lee, the late great preacher at Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, said the devil always offers high wages, but it gives shadows. It promises velvet, but it gives a shroud. Sin promises nectar, but it gives gall. Sin promises sleep, but it gives nightmares. Sin promises rest, but it gives weakness. You can eat the devil's corn, but he'll choke you on the cob. So there is suffering that was brought about because of their sin. The second thing is the separation that sin brought. Look at verse 22. In verse 22, it says <clears throat> in chapter 3, where are we here? Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he must stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of the life and eat and, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. And so God... Uh, it, the sin caused a separation. They could no longer enjoy fellowship with the Lord as they had originally. They were um, kicked out of the Garden of Eden, a cherubim placed there at the entrance to the garden to forbid them to come back into the garden lest they eat of the tree of life and live in a fallen condition uh, throughout all their eternity. God said to them, when you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. Did they? Yes. Spiritually, they died immediately. In their soul, they died progressively, and in their body, they died eventually. But let's hurry now to the third idea, and that is the clothing that God provided. Look in chapter 3 and verse 21. The Lord God <clears throat> made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, the Bible very clearly states that before this, uh, they did not wear clothing. They were naked, uh, which again verifies the fact that God created man and woman in, in our natural bodies and the way God originally created us. There's, there's no, no sin connected with our nakedness. That came about as a result of the sin of disobeying the Lord. Now they had tried to cover themselves uh, with fig leaves, uh, which of course clothing that was inappropriate. Look at chapter 3 and verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin covering or loin clothes. So this is the first time that a man's wife had to go shopping for clothes. And we haven't gotten over it yet, folks. Adam cried out, I need something to cover my carcass. And Eve answered, I've ordered a fig leaf from Neiman Marcus. <laughs> Spiritually, man has made his own garments, his own garment of religion and rules and regulations and righteousness, but man-made garments are never acceptable unto the Lord. And so in verse 21, we read where God provided for them the appropriate clothing that would cover their nakedness and their sin. Verse 21, again, stating, the Lord God made garments of sin for Adam and his wife and clothed 
them. Now, for the Lord to provide for them skins that would cover their nakedness would have meant that an animal somewhere in the Garden of Eden had to have been slain. Where else would you get the skins to cover? What is a skin? It's a covering of an animal, or in our case, of our bodies. Our skin covers us. When our skin is taken away, we bleed. So somewhere, Adam and Eve were the only two people. So somewhere in that garden, an animal had to die so that God could take the skin from that animal, make clothing for them to cover their nakedness. What animal was it? What animal lost its life because of their sin? Well, I cannot prove this from turning to a scripture to say this is the animal that God slew in order to take the skin and cover it. But I've got a hunch. I've got an idea. I think I know. I think it was a lamb. I think it was a lamb. And I'll tell you why. Because if... Uh, you go back to chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So uh, this is a, what, what's called the first mention of the Messiah. This is the first promise in the Bible of God sending a cure for their sin. So when you come to the 12th chapter of the book of Exodus, you have the Passover. And what does the Lord say to Moses? He said, Moses, you tell the people to get a lamb and have them to slay that lamb and to take the blood of that lamb and smear it across the top of the doorway and on the sides because the death angel is coming. And if he comes to a house, not only in the people in Egypt, but in the Israeli houses also, if he comes to a house and there's no blood there, then that death angel is going to come into that house and the firstborn of that family will die. So it was the blood of a lamb. Then you come over to Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7 and 12, where it says prophecy, the prophet Isaiah said that Jesus would be led to slaughter like a lamb, like a lamb. Then in John chapter 1, verse 29 and verse 36, John the Baptist sees Jesus walking in the horizon and he points him out and he says to the disciples, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You come to the eighth chapter of the book of Acts and Philip has been led by the Holy Spirit out into the desert to witness to a man we call the Ethiopian eunuch. When he heard that eunuch reading from the scriptures the Bible says that he was reading from the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53. And Philip asked him the question, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, I don't have anybody to interpret it for me. So at the eunuch's invitation, Philip gets up into the chariot with him. And as they ride along, the Bible says that Philip began at the same scripture, Isaiah 53, and preached unto him Jesus, Jesus. Then when you come to the first uh, epistle of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter says, you are not redeemed with silver and gold, but by what? The precious blood of the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. Then you come to that marvelous book of the book of Revelation, 
the last book of the Bible. In chapter 5 of Revelation and verse 6, John looks and he sees the Lamb and it describes him as one who having been slain. It's a reference to Jesus, a Lamb of God that has been slain. In chapter 5 and verse 12, everybody in heaven, which includes you and me because we're God's children, when we die, we're going to heaven. And at the end of time, we're all going to bow down and worship the Lamb that sits on the throne. We're going to take our crowns off and lay them at the Lamb's feet. Then in the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation, verses 7 uh, through 9, it talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to eat in heaven. We're going to have a banquet. Jesus said to the disciples, I'll not drink of this vine again. I'll not eat again until we do it together in heaven, sitting down at a table. And so there's going to be a future marriage of the lamb with his bride. And who is the bride? The church. We're the bride of Christ. And so there's the marriage supper of the lamb. And then you come to the 22nd chapter of the book of Revelation in verse 3. And again, John sees heaven. He sees God's throne. And he says, there is the lamb of God sitting on the throne of God. So with all of that information together, I've come to the conclusion and of the persuasion that the animal that was slain uh, was a picture of the future crucifixion of the Lord Jesus on the cross of Calvary. So in my opinion, I think it was a lamb that God slew in order that we, or that Adam and Eve, could be covered of their sins. So what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so in Romans 5, 18 and 19, the Bible says, so then, through one man's transgression, that is Adam's transgression, there results condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, which is the reference to Jesus, there results justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience to the one, my word, in my Bible, the word one is capitalized, which is a reference to Jesus. So through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Adam disobeyed God, opened the door for sin to come into the world. Jesus obeyed God and opened the door for redemption to all who will come. I close with this. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Jesus Christ came to our wall. Jesus Christ died for our fall so that regardless of death and in spite of sin, through grace, he might put us back together again. Let's bow together. Oh, Jesus, how grateful we are. We praise your holy name for being the lamb who was slain and through your crucifixion on the cross of Calvary, we have redemption. Our sins are washed away. There's nothing that can wash away our sins but the precious shed blood of the lamb of God, you, Lord Jesus, our blessed Lord and Savior. I pray now for this time of invitation, should there be one here today that needs to be touched by your saving grace. Oh, Spirit of God, Open the eyes of their soul and their understanding that they might see fully and understand uh, that they need to trust you and accept you as the Son of God and the Savior of the world and their Savior, that when you died on the cross, you were dying for them. 
Holy Spirit, give them not only conviction, but give them courage to stand up and to step out and to make public their profession of faith. And we'll always rejoice in it. Should there be others here today, Lord, that need to make decisions of joining our church or whatever it may be, guide them and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please, and come if God is leading you.